Welcome to the Steve Has a Chat podcast, where I call someone out of the blue with the record button on and hope to have an unscripted conversation about Microsoft business applications. Let's see how it goes. Enjoy. Hello, it's Charles Samana. Charles, Steve Mordu, how's it going? Hey, Steve. Uh, I guess this is being recorded, huh? You bet. You bet. This is our third time. You have you got some time? I do. Always. I have a lot of time locked in my house right now. So. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for people who are listening to this in the future. We are recording this on March 27th. Uh, we're all uh, the country's kind of on lockdown, and we're still heading upwards so we don't know where this thing will go or end or what things will look like but that's kind of where we are now and the whole campus has been basically shut down right except for essential yeah people you're all yeah. working from home yeah for a little over three weeks now actually so we did mvp summit from home we did the partner advisory council from home we even did a uh, virtual offsite <laughs> where four days we all joined a team's meeting for eight hours each day so oh my god how are you finding it I mean, compared to going in the office and being, you know, with the team, I mean, is is was massive loss of productivity or stuff, or is it still okay? It's a uh, there definitely is a slight loss of productivity. It's not as bad as I thought it would be, but I mean, I never thought I'd miss my office so much. <laughs> I really miss just you know, you get used to it for a few years, you get everything in place. So yeah. You know, there's a bunch of businesses. I look out my apartment window to downtown Tampa of all these office buildings that are full of, you know, law firms and all sorts of people, a bunch of cubicle farms within them with people that could actually be doing their job from anywhere and could have for years. Yeah. And now, now, of course, are. And I'm wondering how many of these companies that were like reluctant to do remote felt like I need to keep eyes on you. By the time we get through this, we'll have figured out how to do it remote. I wonder how many of those remote workers will end up coming back to an office. Yeah, it could be no, a, I, it could be a huge shift. Oh, it, it definitely will. It's it's just interesting. I was in a talk yesterday. Uh, we we're talking about how like uh, when SARS, the original SARS outbreak happened, um, that actually is what launched e-commerce uh, and APJ. It was around then. It's when JD.com and Ali, uh, basically like mobile ordering, took off during that time because people were locked yeah. at home. And then the rest is history, right? Those are the the second largest uh, e-commerce properties out there in the world, second only to Amazon. So for definitely, I would imagine the way people work and the technology people use will be fundamentally different on the other side of this. So, Well, I'll tell you what, it's almost uh, uh, prescient the way you guys decided to invest deeply in teams over the past yeah. year before any of this was out there. And now looking back, that's looking like a really brilliant move. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> you know? It, yeah, I mean, like, uh, like there's a lot of impact. A lot of people are in trouble, but it's just, it's so exciting to be able to use something like Teams to do like remote learning and tele telehealth and um, just video plus chat plus meetings integrated. Um, teams is really the only one doing that right now. And it just, it's just phenomenal for someone working remote or like working virtually like us right now. So, you know, you said we, we did recently go through MVP summit, which converted into a virtual event kind of at the last minute. And it was, it was, you know, not horrible for a virtual event first time scrambled together, but I'm also wondering about events in the future, if this may change a lot of events into virtual events, even when they don't need to be anymore, but it feels like the, 
feels like the technology needs to get one step better on the idea. It wasn't really built for virtual events at scale like that. Yeah. But it seems like you guys are in a spot to really, you know what, we could figure that out and make a virtual event actually, you know, to built specifically for that purpose and potentially get rid of a lot of future. Because I tell you, there's no executive out there that's happy about approving travel expenses <laughs> for his team to go to some in-person event. If he could sit at home or sit online, all for it. Yeah. And what's really interesting is, uh, like I read, uh, like Ben Thompson, he has a like an article called Stratechery, and it's one of my favorite things to read. And he talks about like, is this the end of large conferences? Because when you move to all digital and you realize you get such bigger reach, I mean, like you get a hundred thousand people, no problem. That's hard. That's almost impossible to do in person. Yeah. Um, and for a fraction of the cost and it can be way more tailored and you don't have to worry about double booking. Like there, it, that's another example where maybe things start to change fundamentally in the future. And I think conferences for years have been more about, or at least equally about the social aspect, seeing people in person, going out to the bar after after the event, having fun, going out to dinner, seeing some town, that sort of sort of thing. Yeah. And and that part, of course, is probably what caused a lot of people to want to go to a con. I mean, I, I have, but well, guys, you and I both know that go to a conference mm-hmm. and don't go to any sessions. Guys like, <laughs> guys like myself and Mark Smith, we don't go to any yeah. sessions. We just go out there. We do that little live thing. Like we, we had you yeah. on and stuff like that just for fun and mainly are out there for the drinking. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so we're going to miss it. Yeah. Well, it just, the, the one thing too, is like just having a group of 20, like that's the other thing I've learned for like teams is amazing. Like four people, you can have a really good conversation or a big broadcast. But if you want to have like a group discussion, it's kind of hard. Um, and that just that's something that works so well because you get all these people together that would never be in the room at the same time uh, in person at these conferences. And you can have some really interesting conversations. But that would be the thing to figure out, because, you know, in person, like MVP Summit, you guys get up in front of, I don't know, 100 of us. And, and we're all kind of raising our hand, taking our turns, asking questions until we run you guys off the stage in fear. But now yep. it's virtual. I mean, there's no, there's no real raise your hand. It's just, you know, the loudest person, the one that doesn't stop talking gets to continue until his questions <laughs> yep. is out of his mouth. And that's a little, yep. that would be an area that it seems like they could do some improvement. Yeah. I think one you of know, the features we're going to ship is raise your hand in teams. So you can press the button to raise your hand. I can't wait for that. Oh, that would be awesome. So you could mute everybody and they'd have to raise their hand. And well, yeah. that's, there you go. That's already heading the direction it would need to, because that's what you'd yeah. need really for some kind of a virtual conference. Yeah. That way also yeah. I can just never answer you when you raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, it's Steve raising his hand again. Yeah. We'll just ignore him. <laughs> yep. The, uh, a lot of stuff that you guys announced at, at uh, Summit, at MVP Summit, and of course, as everybody knows, that's mostly NDA for now, so we can't talk about a lot of that stuff. But there's a couple of things that, that we could talk about. One one theme I think I heard, which I wouldn't think is NDA, was this idea of make everything we have work better. And, yep. and you know, when you guys are building like you've been building, at the pace you've been building, I mean, just, just I mean, it's like, it's like somebody threw matches in a box of fireworks, the stuff that's coming out. You know, it takes a while for all of those wires to get connected and everything to be, you know, singing like you'd want it. And, and sometimes it's like, you know what, this is working darn good. Let's 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 get this other thing launched. And then we get a bunch of stuff that's working darn good, but not perfect. So it, it definitely feels like there's a, a, a motion now to let's go back over kind of top of all this awesome stuff we've launched. And let's connect those last few wires. Let's get this stuff really working as good as it can work. Is that is that a fair yeah. statement? 
that's exactly right and like the the mantra we keep repeating internally is end to end because what you'll see is there'll be components that work well individually but there'll just be huge seams or gaps when you try to wire them up together and our whole vision has been that you want to wire these things together right that's why we talk about one dynamics 365 one power platform so we have this big focus on making sure scenarios that span applications or expand or expand parts of the platform actually work well end to end and it's going in and wiring those things up and spackling over the the creases and putting a new coat of paint on it it's not fundamental but um, and it's not necessarily something that will pop in a demo or in a keynote but it'll just make a huge difference in for our customers and we see it already like we track our net promoter score very closely yep. um, like what are the makers and users like rate the product as they leverage it and we just see it as we systematically improve these end-to-end -end experiences that net promoter score just keeps going up and up and up and up so you know i know we're we're a one Microsoft now, which is a nice term, but in reality, you know, these are lots of groups that are focused on their things. You know, you got the office group focusing on their things, biz apps focusing on theirs, Azure focusing on theirs. And you've got within your own group of bag things like ERP and and and, and Power Platform that they're, they're wiring there you're working on. And at least that's kind of in your realm. You can make that happen. But then you get, you know, Azure AD group, go do something out there that messes up something for us. Or, or you know, you talk about a gap, like a gap maybe between something we're doing over here and something that's happened over on the office side. And those are kind of things that, that you don't have direct control. You got to try and influence and almost make a case internally to those teams that, hey, this is this is good. Or get, some, get Sacha to make a case, get somebody to make the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think like that that is a challenge. So as, as any organization gets big, bigger, you have like I'd say it's not perfectly well mixed, right? <laughs> kind of like the ocean, right? The ocean's big yeah. enough, it's not perfectly well mixed. Um, but I think the fact that it's actually a cultural tenant of Microsoft now to operate in the one Microsoft interest, you see people listening and being willing to have the dialogue on is this truly better at the macro level is this a global maxima for microsoft to go do this capability even if the things you directly own uh, it's maybe not a maxima for you and this this yeah. kind of opens the door to have that dialogue of of hey we need this feature for say the outlook agaves so that our outlook mail app can be better and we can get people off the com at it like that's an example of a really tight partnership between outlook and us and systematically um, out, the Outlook team is completely willing and has shipped feature after feature to go make that Dynamics and Power Apps mail app richer and richer. So, um, and just like the most recent example is to finally bring delegation um, to the mail app, um, yep, and that yep. that's come over the last three and a half months. So, um, just that 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 definitely is a challenge, but it's eminently surmountable and solvable. I'm, I would imagine there's some degree of quid pro quo, right? I mean, hey, you guys help me out with this. I know there's nothing in it for you, but it'll help me. And then, you know, when I have an opportunity later to help you guys out. So we're all kind of open arm instead of crossed arms, you yep. know, when, when some approaching these other things. So how big is your list of things you owe other people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for power, for power ops, I owe a lot. No, but, uh, but what's great is um, a lot of these things aren't like, um, zero sum and that in order for it to be good for one product or one team at Microsoft it has to be bad for the other. Um, the reality is power apps inside of teams. I'll use that as an example. Um, 
as Power Apps, we're very excited about that because customers are asking for an integrated experience inside Teams. I want it on my, my left rail for the app bar, or I want it as a tab inside my channel. Those are real customer demands. Um, and on the other side, Teams wants to go support as many line of business applications as possible inside Teams. And we all know what's the fastest way to go create a bunch of line of business apps. It's not to go write code, it's to go use a low code solution like Power Apps. So you actually can go help accelerate the platform and the line of business awareness in Teams. And you can go at Power Apps, reach new customers at a broader base just by doing that one feature. So it is a very much win-win situation. And um, adopting that mentality through one Microsoft that really the Microsoft cloud is what customers want and customers want to go trust and transact with Microsoft and not individual product teams. Is this a cultural shift that has really grown under Satya with great success? So I would say, um, like, I don't know if a product like Power Apps could have been successful 15 years ago, um, but it definitely we, we have the environment where you can have something like Power Apps embedded in SharePoint, embedded in Teams, the platform for dynamics and a standalone business and uh, having that not be uh, dissonance or in conflict. It's interesting. I think that the companies that have embraced Teams, and it was frankly a slow go to get people to, to bite on because it, it looked a lot different than what they were used to and how they did business. But now the ones that have really gone into it are like, I mean, they're they're maniacal about Teams. And teams is like their new desktop. I mean, they just, yeah. they're operating in Teams all day long now. Uh, and like, I can't imagine how we ever did anything before Teams. So we're still at that inflection point with Teams where I think there's a huge number of customers yet to kind of discover what a lot of customers have about how transformative that could be. So yeah, to have power apps along for that ride, I think that ride's just getting started. You yeah. know, it's interesting these times right now, there's a there's an awkwardness about marketing or promoting things that make sense because of a virus. You know, for example, I, I tactfully tried to write a couple of posts here recently and stood back and was thinking, eh, does that look opportunistic? But you know, the one was this idea that I mentioned earlier, lots of people sending people home uh, to work from home. Well, these companies that have had on-premise systems and still have them been reluctant to move to the cloud, that 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 move to remote workforce is going to be much more complicated than it would have been for those that had already gone full cloud. People just logging in, they got all the security they need to get. You know, some of these VPN solutions just were never designed or invested enough into to support the entire workforce. What What are your thoughts about about that? I mean, do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, yeah. I think like um, the the way we view it is number one, things have changed right now. Like that's just the the reality, right? People are in different working environments. Um, people are in different under different economic pressure. There's very real frontline response necessary to go and combat, combat COVID-19 out in the field. So like things have changed. That's number one. And the second thing that we've kind of adopted is um, because things have changed, we need to be flexible. Um, and like if you look across what we've done at Microsoft, even just specifically in the area that I that I work on, we took the April release um, or the 2020 wave one release. Originally, it was going to be mandatory upgrade in April. Talking to a lot of customers, they said, we can't get the workforce to test it. Please don't do this change. We can't take it. So uh, we extended the opt-in window for the Wave 1 release to May for an extra yep. month. And we'll keep yep. evaluating stuff like that constantly. But we did that, and 
that's a big change for us because we really have trumpeted that like clockwork. It's always in April. It's going to come. Um, but we just felt like that was the right thing to do. Or we've also done a bunch of programs where for six months you can get power apps um, or dynamics uh, CE free if you're in healthcare, hospitals, life science or government organization, um, because we, we want to go help. So we're, there's dozens, there's literally dozens and dozens and dozens of state, local government hospitals that we're working with right now inside my team. And we wanted to make sure we could help them in a way where it was clear we were not trying to profiteer off of the crisis, right? So it's, it's a, like, it is that fine line, though, right? Yeah. Because obviously there'll be a lot of these folks that'll take take you up on those opportunities, and then when all this stuff passes, at some point you guys are going to reach out and say, "Hey, you know, uh, that thing we were giving you for free for so long, you know, we kind of kind of like it back, or have you start paying?" And it is yeah. that kind of fine line about you know the, the the super cynics could look at it very cynically, I guess. Yeah. You know the the uh, the other thing that uh, is interesting to me. I, I was talking about how in this time of business, you know, revenue is going to be a challenge for businesses right now. I mean, revenue is going to drop for most businesses that are you know out there. There'll be certain businesses certainly that will you know in every crisis there's always some businesses that that do better than others, but most are going to have a little downturn. And their their revenue growth is going to be largely out of their control uh, at the moment. I mean, government could shut down, you know, the people that are buying your product, or who knows. And it's not it's not something you could control like you could before. So what you can control though is your cost. That's really all you can control right now. It's a cost side, and both those mm-hmm. drop to the bottom line the same way, right? Yeah. And you know, obviously, laying off people as people are doing that, but it seems like the time for people to really look into their organization for where we're losing in money, money is leaking out. Um, because when I look at historically to solve a problem like that, maybe with a business application, we're looking at Dynamics 365 or Salesforce or some big applications, cost a lot of money, a lot of time to get implemented to, to plug a, a leaky ship that's, that's losing some money. Where now with Power Apps, we really have the ability to go, you know, let's identify those leaks, let's spin up a Power App in a week or two weeks and solve this problem. We're, we're doing one right now for a Fortune 500 company that discovered $50,000 a month. Uh, and in a big company, you know, you can not notice that. <laughs> I yeah. would notice it, I would notice <laughs> it, but they, they, didn't, they didn't notice until someone suddenly noticed it. We're literally gonna plug that hole with a power app at a total development cost of about 15 grand. And yeah. it's just amazing, I mean, Amazing when you think about how many of those sorts of things, and now's a good time for people to really focus on where, where's money leaking out of your business. And there's some lower cost, low code, quick tools now that could potentially plug those leaks that we didn't even have before. Yeah, yeah. And I, like if we look at as a company, we actually view Power Apps and Power Automate um, together as two products that will we envision doing quite well even during an economic downturn for that reason. Um, yeah because you don't have to hire a, a very expensive developer to maybe go solve the solution, or or even if you go go work with a services company to implement it, they can implement it much more quickly than they would if they had to go write code. And we are, like we were just, we're working with, a, I'd say like a Fortune 100, like very large company, just I was talking to this week, and they said, well, before we were talking about Power Apps, all about like transformation, right? How do we go drive revenue forward? And now for the next six months, we're going to pivot and we're going to be focused on driving efficiencies in our business process. Yep. And 
retiring other IT solutions, which overlap and can be replaced with Power Apps. So they're now going to go hunt for like this licensing thing. They pay a million bucks a year. This one, they pay two million bucks a year. Can they just spend a little bit of effort, move that to Power Apps and be able to shut down those licenses once and for all? So that's kind of the benefit of the flexibility of the platform. And just the, the ROI is so clean um, that, yeah, that we think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity between Power Apps and Power Automate um, with the new RPA capabilities. You know, I want to talk about RPA in a second, but the, you did make a point there that it's funny how their original thought was to use it to grow revenue. And because of the situation we're in now, they're looking at another use case, which frankly was just as valid before any virus or anything else was out there. It's, it's interesting yep. that it took something like that to have them say, well, what's the other hugely obvious thing we could solve? You yep. know? Exactly. So yeah. our, our, RPA is is an interesting one. There was a lot of talk at some about a lot of excitement about RPA. And I know that you're probably still somewhat limited on what you can talk about, but whatever you can say, you know, what, what what's, what are you thinking about that? Yeah. So, um, the RPA, we're going to be GAing that with the April April wave, um, so wave one, so just uh, in a week or so. We announced the licensing details for RPA uh, four weeks ago or so, I think on March 2nd. And uh, what's exciting between the capabilities of it being a true low-code offering, like a typical power platform offering, plus the reasonable license, licensing options that we have, which are generally, like I'd say, the most affordable you're going to find out there for an RPA solution, we think we can actually start to democratize enterprise-grade automation, uh, make it possible to really have business users, IT, pro developers, partners, service companies, all use the same platform to go automate and drive efficiencies. Um, so that's the exciting bit. And because Power Automate and Flow have been around, Microsoft Flow before that have been around for a while, but have really been, I'd say, capped to a degree at, around personal and team and light departmental automation. But now with the RPA functionality, we're starting to see enterprise-wide like um, invoice processing, quarterly earnings preparation, accounts, uh, basically resolving receivable accounts, things like that. Very heavy workloads being built on top of Power Automate, the same low-code tool that's been there for a few years. So um, we're very excited about it for that reason. And in a world where you want to go trim costs, there's real opportunity to go drive efficiency um, using Power Automate over time. Yep, and, yep, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. I got, it wouldn't be a talk with me if I didn't bust your balls about some stuff. <laughs> let, let me hear so, it. What is it about? <laughs> so in, in one of our last calls, we talked about the hot uh, topic at the time was about these API limits. And you said, you know, this isn't something we want customers to think about. We actually thought of it more as like an asterisk on your cable bill, it shouldn't be a factor. Yet it continues to persist in people's minds. It, the, the conversation has not gone away. We've got people claiming that they're running into limits and doing stuff like that. And what what, what are your thoughts around that now that it's actually out there and we're seeing how it's landed you know, in people's uh, organizations? Yeah, so I mean, I do, I do still hear a little bit of noise from customers and partners that are running into it. Um, but as it is dramatically less because uh, it doesn't impact 99% of customers, um, wouldn't impact 99% of customers. So since it's kind of rolled out, we haven't really, we've heard a lot less noise, but there still does exist some noise. Um, and the thing that I mean, would you, would to, you call it air? I mean, would you just call it a uh, false noise? I mean, because you guys have the analytics in the background. You know yeah. what's exactly happening. You know, you know, if once you launch this, that suddenly half of our customer base is hitting this wall and you know that that's not happening. 
So is yep. it still kind of the feeling that the ones are, that are squawking either of, of that small percentage or just fear mongers? <laughs> yeah. So, so I think, I think there, I'd say I'd break down three very valid concerns that we hear. Um, the first is uh, we don't have enough reporting to, to make it clear and easy to understand where you stand for the API limits. Like we have uh, early stage reporting in Power Platform Admin Center, but we don't have enough. Um, so there's a lot of improvements coming for that uh, by uh, wave two of this year. So over the next six months, it'll by the end of uh, by the end of the next wave, release wave for Dynamics, you'll be able to go in and understand exactly how your API limits are being used and if there's any risk. And, and that's just going to be exposing telemetry that we ourselves look at today. And we think that will help with a lot of the concern that people are facing. So that's one. The the second is we have people that are using a lot of the Dynamics products. They're using customer insights, they're using power apps, they're using customer engagement, they're using marketing. And their concern is all these application workflows, like imagine customer insights taking data from CE or marketing doing segmentation on CE are actually generating a lot of API calls. So as they actually keep adding more and more apps, uh, which we like, of course, and we think that's the whole yep. special value prop of Dynamics, they are generating a huge amount of API calls. And so this is something we're going back and looking at to see how do we count the application API calls from Microsoft delivered apps and also what API inclusion should come with those other licenses. So that is something we're looking at. And we don't have enforcement today, so people aren't really feeling the pinch, but people are looking at it and saying, hey, I can see that I'm making a lot of API calls because of these other apps. So that's the second one. And third thing is, we have customers uh, who are like have a web app um, or some other service which calls into CDS in the background, um, and that generates a lot of load, um, and that that is causing friction. Those are the, those are probably the people that we intended to have impact from these changes, um, and because those are people where maybe they have ten user licenses, but they generate like a billion API calls a day. So okay, yep. that's probably yep. not. Correct. So, um, so, but we are seeing noise um, in a few places there. So, and that last one I think is probably we're not going to do anything to simplify. Whereas the first two are things we're going to go try to simplify and improve over time. A couple of other things before I let you go. One is, uh, you know, multiplexing is a concept that's been around for a very, very long time. Back when we had CALs, back when it was a physical apps installed on machines and stuff like that. Now we're in this kind of different world with all these cloud apps and services bumping into each other. But but multiplexing is still this this big gray box for lots of folks. And and, and even in the Microsoft documentation, it's kind of contradictory in some places, you know, but, you know, how, how, what's the story with, you know, we got Salesforce connectors, we got SAP connectors, we've got all these other kinds of connectors that almost seem to be in direct conflict with, with some of this multiplexing. And how do you, how do you guys get to figure that out? What is multiplexing going to look like in the future? Yeah. Like I would say um, the spirit of the, of the law when it comes to multiplexing is if you're doing something to reduce the number of user licenses, you'd have to get four users then you're probably doing multiplexing. Um, and the the problem is to convert that to a letter of the law is we create confusion historically to a degree, as well as accidentally prevent things that we don't want to prevent based on how the language is written. And, and I'll give an example. So like if I use a connector to say Salesforce or SAP, I still have to be licensed um, through Power Apps to Salesforce or SAP. 
because um, you're running with your identity to Salesforce and SAP. So we, we feel like that's totally aligned with the, the spirit and those partners feel good with it. Um, one of the places where there was some weirdness was like, say I have a power app connecting to my dynamic CE data, um, but I'm not using any of the dynamic CE logic. Is that multiplexing? Technically, four months ago, that was multiplexing um, as the way the licensing guide was written. But that was not the intent and that was not the spirit of the law. So we've gone and changed that actually um, to say if you're licensed for power apps and you're running a power app to connect to Dynamics data, but not using the Dynamics app logic or app experience, then that's totally fine and not multiplexing. And that was changed, I think, in late January, early February, because some people pointed out like this doesn't make sense. Then um, we said, you know, you're right. That's not what we wanted to have this, uh, the impact of that being. So we went and changed it. But at its core, if you're using if you're or doing something to circumvent a user license, and you'll know you're doing it because it will feel unnatural because the system's not yeah, built to yeah, behave yeah. that way. Um, that's multiplexing and not allowed. Everything else, uh, the intent is to have it be allowed. Um, so if your sense. goal just, is if your goal is to game the system, you're multiplexing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's basically, and you'll know it. Like just oh, with, yeah. Uh, yeah, like if you're like, okay, I'm going to create one system account, and people will use a web portal I build in Azure, and the the system account will then have to fake. <laughs> authorization talking to CDN, like, you know, you're like in bad territory when you're doing that. Um, yeah. A lot of and, that comes and, from customers, you know, customers like, can't we take a power app and then have it have a custom entity that by workflow goes and recreates a, a restricted a record in a restricted entity? I'm like, no, that's what are you talking about? Any, anything you're doing to try and like go around the fence, you know, is, yes. is, is, is probably going to fall into that funny territory. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and yeah, and a challenge we always have is like, how do we convert these these ideas into a, like digestible licensing guide? And I think we it's it's almost like, and I don't want to do it in a like it's almost like running a law, like legislating, <laughs> and there's but there are no judges to actually go interpret the law. So anyway. well, we know, and we also know that the when it's written down in a licensing guide, it almost might as well not be said if we can't get it technically enforced at, at various levels. You know, I mean, we can point back the licensing guide. We as partners should be telling customers, yep, not allowed to do that. But you know, without technical enforcement, these licensing guides are just something you could beat them over the head with when they when they misbehave. You know, and speaking yep. of restricted entities, when we last talked, you had mentioned, yep, there may be some more coming. That was a very long time ago. Um, yep. We haven't seen them. What is is the thinking still along the lines of that is how we're going to kind of protect some of the first party IP or we maybe have some different thoughts of different ways to protect it in this in this new world of a common data service, open yep. source, uh, you know, data model, et cetera. So we actually do. We are working on something. I can't quite tip my hand yet um, that will better allow you to share data and share schema from the common data model, the common data service and the apps without running into the concept of premium entity or restricted entity. So um, there is something in the works that we're working towards. Um, and I would say like at a, at a high level, restricted entities as a concept are largely antithetical to our common data service, common data model vision. Um, and they were just like the least bad option to go make sure that we appropriately can license Dynamics apps. So we are working feverishly on many proposals um, to get out of that restricted entity business. 
um, but still have a model which more appropriately captures and protects the value of the Dynamics apps without introducing restricted entities. So there, I'd say stay tuned. There definitely is some, there's a, the, the best minds are working on it. And I, I've seen a very digestible and good proposal that is kind of go, running up the chain right now um, that'll get us in a much better place um, later this year. I had kind of had that assumption since, you know, you talked about adding some and so much time had gone by. And my thinking was, because I never liked the idea of the restricted entities for reasons you just said, it kind of felt like a quick kind of down and dirty temporary solution. Yep. And I had the I had the assumption that since we hadn't heard any more that you guys were actually coming up with a better idea. So very glad yep. to hear that. I'm sure everybody would be glad to hear that. So anything, any I know you got to get back to work. You're a busy guy. Anything mm -hmm. else you want to... Uh, convey to folks out there right now um the the biggest thing i would say the, the biggest go do i'd have for folks right now at this point in time would be go play with power automate learn the new rpa functionality it's a huge addition to dynamic ce it's a great thing for support and customer service workloads it's a great thing for finance workloads um like we have one customer that went from 22 like finance ops people down to three um just using power automate and rpa um, plus, if you use Power Apps, it's a great way to go extend it. Um, so I say go give Power Automate and RPA to RPA a try. That is the number one thing I think to pay attention to, and that's the number one thing I'm going to be talking about at the virtual launch event. So um, I'd say just that would be my call to action. That would be the one thing I'd say. And the second thing would be I even wore a shirt thinking Steve would maybe video uh, call me today, but uh, it's yeah. too bad you can't see it. Um, very nice. But, uh, <laughs> maybe I'll take a picture and send it to you about uh, Mary Pigmas. So um that's that's kind of the the current state here as i work from home but yeah <laughs> so, yeah, yeah but, we're, uh, but we're all kind of letting the hair grow and uh yeah. you know yeah so. I, I had a call with pr uh, our pr and ar folks like our analyst relations folks and because i had an interview on wednesday and they said uh you're gonna shave right before <laughs> you're gonna <laughs> shave before you get on the camera with them um so yeah uh but anyway exciting well, times. Listen, as you, always you never have pleasure. to shave to talk to me awesome thank you <laughs> I appreciate All right, Charles, that. Thanks for the time. Yep. Always good to chat with you, Steve. Have a good weekend. Stay you safe. Too.